0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Medisodes and in today's episode we're going to be looking at the bones of the body, specifically the human body. We're going to be running down some interesting facts about the anatomy and all the other things that you need to know about the human body and its bones. Let's start off with some general facts about the human skeleton. It's the internal framework of the human body and is made of bones. Around 270 of them at birth. However, this total decreases to 206 by adulthood, as some smaller bones fuse together to create larger ones. The bone mass in your skeleton will reach its maximum density around age 21, as it builds up over your youthful years. The human skeleton has six major functions. Support of the whole body. Movement, as it allows your muscles to pull on different parts of your body to move you. Protection such as the skull's case production of blood cells within the bones storage of minerals again within the bones and endocrine regulation unlike many species the anatomical differences in the bones between human males and females are not very highly pronounced and quite limited the human skeleton is not sexually dimorphic but there are subtle differences between sexes in areas such as the skull the teeth long bones and the pelvis For example, the skull has minor differences in the mastoid processes or the parts of the skull behind your ear, and in the supraorbital margin and supraorbital bridge, or the brow ridge above the eye socket, which are different in males and females. Also canine teeth are different between males and females, with them being larger in males, however this difference is much less pronounced than in other great apes such as chimpanzees or gorillas. Again, long bones, or bones that are longer than wide, such as the humerus, the radius, the femur, tibia, these are generally larger in males, as males overall tend to be slightly larger. And finally, the pelvis in women is wider, as well as the pelvic inlet. This helps childbirth to become a lot easier for them, and they also have a curved sacrum, which assists in the birthing process. The human skeleton overall can be divided into two parts. The axial skeleton and the appendicular skeleton. The axial skeleton is formed by the vertebral column, which is 26 different bones, the thoracic or the rib cage, which is 25 bones, and the skull, which is 22 bones, as well as a few other associated bones. In total, the axial skeleton contains 80 bones. Within the vertebral column, there are seven cervical vertebrae designated C1 to 7 with C1 at the base of the skull and C7 furthest away down the body. The vertical column can be used as a marker of other parts of human anatomy, and therefore these bones are used as guide markers. For example, at C1, you'll also find the base of the nose and the hard palate at the roof of the mouth. At C2, you'll find where the teeth should be of a closed mouth. At C4, the common carotid artery bifurcates into two separate parts. And at C6, the esophagus becomes continuous with the laryngopharynx, and it's also where the larynx becomes continuous with the trachea. This is also the place where you should test for people's pulses against the transverse process of the vertebra. After that, there are 12 thoracic vertebrae, designated T1 through 12, descending down the spine. After those, near the lower back region, there are five lumbar vertebrae, labelled L1 to L5. Beneath those is the sacrum, a collection of five bones that fuse into one post-puberty. And after that is the coccygeal vertebrae, a set of four bones which will fuse into the coccyx, or tailbone, which therefore becomes one bone. In terms of the rib cage, there are 25 bones in the chest, one sternum bone, and 24 ribs in 12 pairs. However, in certain cases there can be additional cervical ribs, usually in men. These cervical ribs occur more naturally in other animals such as reptiles. The skull, contrary to popular belief, actually contains 22 separate bones instead of being made up of one giant bony mass. Including the bones of the middle ear, head overall contains 28 bones. These are 8 cranial bones, the occipital bone, 2 parietal bones, frontal bones, 2 temporal bones, a sphenoid bone and an ethmoid bone. And then 14 facial bones, which are two nasal bones, one maxillae or upper jaw, two lacrimal bones, two cheek bones, two palatine bones, an inferior nasal concha, two of them, a vomer, a hyoid bone, and a mandible. And finally, there are the bones of the middle ears, technically part of the skull as they're not adjoined to the skull bones, but they are included in the axial skeleton. There are six bones in total, three on each side the malleus the incus and the stapes the appendicular skeleton on the other hand attached to the axial skeleton is formed off of the peripheral parts of the body which are the shoulder girdle and upper limbs the pelvic girdle and the bones of the lower limbs this in total is 126 bones there are 64 bones in the arms 32 in each the upper arm bones has 6 bones in total 3 on each side these include the humerus the scapula, and clavicles, the last two which form the pectoral girdle. The lower arm bones has four bones in total, two on each side, being the ulna and the radius. And finally, the hands have 54 bones in total, 27 on each side. These include the carpals, which are 16 small bones, eight at the base of each hand where it joins the wrist, which are made up of the scaphoid, lunate, triquetral, pisiform, trapezium, trapezoid, capitate and hamitate bones. These are then attached to the metacarpals, 10 bones in total, five on each side, which form the majority of the palms of your hands. After that are the phalanges of each hand, which are the bones of the fingers. These are the proximal phalanges, 10 in total, five on each side, forming the base of the three bones of each finger. The intermediate phalanges, there are only eight of these in total, four on each side, as they're not present in the thumbs. And then the distal phalanges, ten in total, five on each side, and these form the tips of each finger including the thumbs. Now we move on to the pelvic girdle. The pelvis or hip bone is made up of three regions of bone that are fused to form two coxal bones on each side of the body. The three regions are the ilium, ischium and pubis, descending down the side of each pelvis top to bottom. Although the sacrum and the coccyx do attach to the hip, two hip bones that form the pelvis, they are more important to the spinal column, where they are counted instead. Then we move on to the legs, which has a total of 60 bones. There is a femur on each side, which is two bones, a patella or kneecap on each side, a tibia and fibula on each side, which forms the lower leg, and then each foot has 26 bones each, or 52 in total. They are similar in structure to the hands. The tarsals, or tarsus, is similar to the carpals of the hand, although they're made up of 14 bones, not 16, and there's only seven in each foot. These form the ankle and back section of your feet. These include the calcineus, or heel bone, the talus, the navicular, the medial cuneiform, the intermediate cuneiform, the lateral cuneiform, and cuboid bones. After the tarsals are the metatarsals, which are 10 bones that form the middle section of your feet. These can be equated to the metacarpals of the hands. And after that are the phalanges of the foot, similar to the phalanges of the hands. And again, there are 10 proximal, 8 intermediate, as the large toe of each feet does not have intermediate phalanges, and 10 distal phalanges. So in total, these are all the 206 bones found in a typical adult body, from top to bottom. Now I'm going to hand on to Surya, who's going to tell you about the structure of the bones themselves.
1: As mentioned previously, there are 206 bones in the body, but let us now look at the detailed structure of bones. First, it is important to make an important distinction. Bones can be tissues as well as organs, depending on the specificity. To make it simple, bone tissues are one of the several tissues that make up the organ which is called bone. Other tissues that make up the bone organ include connective tissue and nervous tissue. In this podcast, we're going to be focusing on how the bone organ is structured and see how this structure might vary with different types of bone. All bones have an outer layer of compact bone surrounded by an inside of spongy bone. Compact bone is very dense and smooth and are a major component of short, flat and irregular bone types, which will be mentioned later. Spongy bone has many small spaces which are filled with red bone marrow. Red bone marrow is the site of hematopoiesis, a process which produces hematopoietic stem cells that which go on to differentiate into the specialized cells of the blood, such as red blood cells, white blood cells and platelets. Zooming into the spongy layer region of the bone to look at its microscopic layer, we can see that there are a variety of different cell types. Osteogenic cells are stem cells that have the potential to differentiate into different types of bone cells. When a bone is growing, osteogenic cells are usually flattened as shown in the diagram. Osteoblasts are also found and they are the cells that secrete the bone matrix, which is composed of collagen and calcium phosphate. This matrix is essential for bone growth. Osteocytes are a type of cell which maintain connections to other osteocytes and osteoblasts. They are important for communication within bone tissue. Osteoclasts are large cells that contain multiple nuclei, nuclei, and they release enzymes and acids to dissolve minerals in bone and digest them. This process is called resorption. Osteoclasts help remodel injured bones and create pathways for nerves and blood vessels to travel through. Now that we have looked at the structure of bones that is common to most bones, let us look at spe- specifically at the long bone. Long bone is a type of bone which is called long because its length is greater than its width. Examples of long bone include the humerus, radius and ulna. Long bone contains diaphyses. This is a tube shaped shaft made of compact bone which forms the medullary cavity. Within this shaft of compact bone is yellow bone marrow, which is bone marrow with a high concentration of fat. The ends of the long bone are called epiphyses. These sections contain spongy bone, which is within compact bone, which is covered by cartilage for stress absorption and cushioning. Looking more closely at the compact bone of the medullary cavity, they are made up of units called osteons, which are made up of concentric lamellae, which are hollow tubes. Within the lamellae, you can find collagen fibres that run in an alternating fashion with crystals of bone salts in between the lamellae. This alternating arrangement of collagen enables bones to withstand twisting movement, which is also known as torsion. Looking at short bones, there are many spongy bones. Again, looking at short bones, these are made up of spongy bone surrounded by compact bone. Short bones also contain red bone marrow, but do not have diaphyses. Examples of short bone include carpals, which are the wrist bones, tarsals, which are the ankle and heel bones, and the patella, which is the kneecap. Flat bones are bones that provide structure such as the shape of the head and torso and make up the foundation of the shoulder and hip. Flat bones can also provide protection of soft tissues underneath. Like short bones, flat bones have walls that are made up of compact bones which surrounds spongy bone. The cranial bones, scapula, sternum, ribs and iliac bone, which is the hip bone, are all examples of flat bones. Irregular bones are bones that have very specific structures depending on their function. The facial bones and the bones of the spinal cord and vertebrae are examples of irregular bones. Finishing off with the chemical composition of bones, we can say that they are made of both organic and inorganic compounds. The organic components include osteoblasts and osteocytes as well as the bone matrix and the inorganic components include calcium phosphate crystals, which is what makes bones really hard. Hopefully this has given you a brief insight into bone structure. Now on to Shrey, who will be talking about unique bones in the body.
2: Let's look at some of the bones more in depth, starting with the skull. The skull protects the brain, which is the most important organ in the body. It also supports the structure of the face. The skull is supported by the highest vertebra, the C1 vertebra, as Anapan mentioned, called the atlas vertebra. And the atlas turns on the axis vertebra, which is C2, and that allows you to move your head from side to side. So, as Anapan mentioned, the skull is not a single bone. It's made up of multiple bones joined together. So let's start with the cranial bones. So the cranium is where the brain is, and it's also called the neurocranium because of this. So at its base is the occipital bone, and this has a central opening on it, in it called the for- foramen magnum. And this is a large hole in the base of the skull that allows the brainstem to attach to the spinal cord, and it's where the medulla oblongata is found, which controls uh, involuntary movements. There are 21 foramina in total, which allow vital arteries, nerves and veins to go in and out of the skull. Next, there's the parietal and temporal bones, which form the sides and uppermost parts of the dome of your cranium. There's also the frontal bone, which is what forms the forehead. On the cranial floor, there's the sphenoid and the ethmoid bones. The cranium can be split into two. The roof, which has the frontal or os- occipital and two parietal bones, are uh, known as the calvarium. There's also then the base of the skull, which is the front, consists of the frontal bone, the sphenoid, the ethmoid, the occipital, the parietal, and the temporal bones. Moving on, the facial bones or the viscerocranium bones make up the front of the head or your face. So there are 14 bones with which fuse. Form the eye sockets, the nasal and oral cavities, and the sinuses. So the main part is the zygomatic or zygomatic bones or the cheek bones. And these are diamond-shaped bones below the eye socket, which are at the widest part of the cheek. And they adjoin to the frontal bone at the outer edge of the eye socket and the temporal sphenoid, and maxilla, which is the upper jaw. There are also the lacrimal bones, which form a small medial wall in the orbit, which is the eye socket. There's also the nasal bones, which are slender bones at the bridge of the nose. The maxilla is the upper jaw and forms part of the hard palate. And there's the mandible, which is the jaw, which articulates with the base of the cranium at the temporomandibular joint, or the TMJ, and it's the only joint in the skull. So we've said that the skull is formed of multiple bones and these are joined together by sutures. These are fibrous joints that are unique to the skull. They are immovable and fused by the age of 20. They are a form they are sites of potential weakness though and that's why they're very important when it comes to dealing with trauma patients. The main important sutures are the coronal suture which is between the frontal bone and the parietal bone. The sagittal suture, which is between the two parietal bones. The lambdoid suture, which is between the occipital and the parietal bones. In newborns, the bones are incompletely fused. And this leaves membrane gaps between the bones, called fontanelles. The three main ones are... Sorry, and the two main ones are the frontal, which is between the coronal and sagittal sutures. And then there's the occipital between the sagittal and the lambdoid. But after 18 to 24 months, ossification occurs, which causes these fontanelles to close and become the sutures. Moving on to another very important structure, the spine, which is a vertebral pro- column of, with 33 vertebrae separated by intervertebral discs. You may have heard about slip discs. And this is where the intervertebral discs slip out of their place and it's extremely painful. So, the functions of the spine are that it needs to protect the spinal cord inside it, it needs to support the, the weight of the body above the pelvis, it becomes the central axis of the body around which everything is placed, and it's important in movement and posture. And each vertebrae has a similar structure. It has an anterior vertebral body on the front and a posterior vertebral arch on the back. The vertebral body is a weight is the weight bearing component, and it's lined with hyaline cartilage. The vertebral arch forms an enclosed hole with the body, with the vertebral body. This produces the vertebral foramen, and the foramina line up to form the vertebral column, and enclose the spinal cord. And then there are body prominences, which attach to the muscles and ligaments surrounding the spine, which allow you to move. There are spinous processes, transverse, two transverse processes, pedicles, which are tiny bits of bone between the vertebral body and the transverse processes, the lamina, which is between transverse processes and the spinous processes, the articular processes, which are between the lamina and the pedicles, and they allow joint joint, they form joints between the vertebrae, which allow them to be flexible. There are five regions of the spine, as mentioned before. There are seven cervical vertebrae, and these have bifeed spinoids. Which means their the, their spinous processes have like two forks. Their transverse foramina have openings in the, them, which allow the vertebra to go into the brain, uh, which allowed the brain to brainstem to attach to spinal cord. And they have a v- triangular vertebral foramen. And as mentioned before, the C one and C two vertebra specialize in moving the head. Next down is the thoracic vertebrae, which there are 12 of them. They're medium size and they increase as you go further down towards the base of the spine. And they articulate with the ribs and um, form the thorax. And these are with facts, which articulate through ribs. And facts are two little extrusions which come out of the, re- out of the vertebral body. Then there's a the lumbar vertebrae, there are five of them and they are the largest and they support the weight of the torso Um, and they have large vertebral bodies to do this and no transverse from peromany. Then there's the sacrum which is five fused vertebrae and they're arranged in an inverted triangle with the point going down and they attach the pelvis and then there's the coccyx which is the tailbone and it has no virtual arches at all. Finally, let's move on to the ear. So, the middle ear is found within the temporal bone and it contains three auditory ossicles called the malleus, the incus, and the stapes. But these are also known more commonly as the hammer, anvil, stirrup due to their shapes. And they are connected in a chain like manner. So, and they're all behind the eardrum. So the malleus is the largest one, and it's attached to the eardrum. The incus is attached to the head of the malleus. And this then causes it, as the eardrum vibrates, this causes it to move. And the incus structure is one of a body with two limbs coming out of it, which are with the short limb attached to the wall of the ear, and the long limb attached to the stapes. So the stapes is the smallest bone in the body. It's only three millimeters long. And as mentioned before, it's stirrup shaped with a head, two limbs, and a base. And the head is attached to the incus, and the base is attached to the oval window of the inner ear, where the sensory neurons are for hearing. Now that we've talked about some of them, some of the bones in the body in more depth, let's go on to talk about diseases
3: of the bones. The bones are essential for basic functions in the human body, notably that they facilitate movement. As with any part of the body, they can be affected by diseases, which affect their functionality in different ways. The most well-known disease is osteoporosis. This is a condition in which the bones get extremely, dangerously weak and are more prone to breaking. This condition is more dangerous in the hip, spine and wrist bones because these are the areas of the body that are put under the most strain for the size of the bones. The word osteoporosis literally means bones with holes, and occurs when the body's bones lose minerals such as calcium more quickly than they can be replaced. This causes the bones to become less dense, and so they lose strength and break easily. A patient suffering from osteoporosis needs to make lifestyle changes and undergo medical treatment to prevent further bone loss, and to reduce their risk of bone fractures. Unlike other diseases, there are no distinctly recognisable symptoms of osteoporosis, apart from the fact that the patient is more susceptible to serious fractures. The most reliable way to diagnose osteoporosis is to measure the density of bone using a dual energy absorbed geometry scan, also called DXA. DXA is a short, painless scan that measures the density of bones at the hip, spine and forearm. There are several risk factors for osteoporosis. Firstly, Having a direct relative suffering from the condition increases the chances, as well as being female. Other risk factors, ones that the patient has some control over, include inadequate dietary calcium, low vitamin D, a caffeine intake of more than three cups of coffee a day. Smoking is also a risk factor for osteoporosis. And for more information about how smoking affects the body, be sure to check out Medisodes episode 26, where we discuss this in detail. There are no such cures for osteoporosis, instead management measures are put in place. These include safer exercise options, fall prevention and medication to stop the bone from weakening further. In patients with osteoporosis, the risk of a fracture is greater from high intensity exercise and improper strength training. So a physiotherapist usually puts together an exercise plan specific to the patient and their stage of osteoporosis. Exercise is important because it is a way for the patient to regain strength in their bones. And so the patient is not advised to avoid exercise altogether. There are also medications that are prescribed for the treatment of osteoporosis. The next condition sounds similar to this. is osteopetrosis, which is where the bones are too dense. But contrary to popular belief, they are not stronger. The extra bone density causes them to weaken because the strength of bones is dependent on the ratio between pores and bone material. This makes them more prone to fracturing, and similar lifestyle changes to osteoporosis are how required. However, this condition can also damage the marrow inside the bones, which makes it harder to fight infection and carry oxygen in the blood. Another disease of the bones is osteogenesis imperfecta, which is more commonly known as brittle bone disease. It's a genetic condition, though it can be worsened by lifestyle factors. This term affects gr- a group of genetic disorders that m- makes the bone brittle. These diseases may also have other symptoms, including a blue tinge to the sclera, which is the white of the eye, a short height, and loose joints. The underlying mechanism is usually a problem with connective tissue due to a lack of a type of collagen. This occurs most commonly due to a gene mutation, and is autosomal, which means that it is not linked to chromosome pair 23, and if so, it isn't linked to gender. It is also dominant, which means that the person needs only one mutated gene from one parent to be affected. As in many genetic conditions, there is no cure, but the symptoms can be managed with a healthy lifestyle, medication, and sometimes surgery. The most common surgical procedure that is done for this condition is the insertion of metal rods into the longer of bones to improve strength. Physiotherapy is also used to strengthen muscles and improve mobility in a more subtle manner whilst minimising the risk of bone breakage. This involves light resistance exercises and the use of support cushions to improve posture. Hyperthyroidism is a disease that is not specific to the bones, but it does have an effect on it. Hyperthyroidism is, as the name suggests, caused by an overactive thyroid gland. The thyroid gland is situated in the neck and is a vital hormone gland playing a crucial role in metabolism, growth and development in humans. It regulates the body functions by releasing a steady amount of thyroid hormone into the bloodstream, and so an overactive thyroid gland will lead to a greater than normal rate for these basic bodily reactions. The main hormone produced by the thyroid gland is thyroxine. Hyperthyroidism speeds up the natural rate of bone loss, and the body sometimes cannot replace it fast enough. This leads to a loss of structure in the bones, which then leads to the development of osteoporosis. The main way to control hyperthyroidism is through medication, though surgery may be an option in more severe cases of this disease. As we can see, there are several diseases that affect the bones, but they usually have the effect of making the bones weaker and prone to fracturing. Treatments for these are also similar because they cause similar symptoms. The bones are truly a marvel considering the amount of physical stress that they go through on a daily basis, how essential they are to mobility and the function of bone marrow in the production of red blood cells and so it's an event inevitable that they'll get some diseases. I'll now hand back to Anupam to wrap up today's episode.
0: So thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you've learned a lot more about the bones of the body and have a better understanding of your own skeleton. Now like, comment and subscribe on the video and share it with all your friends. Thank you for watching and we'll have another episode out same time next week.